Good morning. And to our German friends, uh, Guten Morgen. Acts chapter 2. We'll continue in our study of this wonderful book. <clears throat> While you're turning there, you know, we have people who visit and uh, they sometimes wonder, how can we keep uh, studying the same book over and over every Sunday? You think you'd uh, get done with it after a while. I don't know about you, but I love the Word of God. Do you love the Word of God? Man, I love the Word of God. And we're never going to exhaust it. Never get to the end of it. God says about His Word in Psalms, He says this. He says His words are like silver tried in the furnace seven times. Think about what He's saying there. <clears throat> silver... Um, if you want to purify it, it has, it has what are called impurities in it in its natural state. And you want to get those out. So what they do is, uh, well, at least in these days, they heated it up in a furnace until it became liquid. And the scum, the stuff you don't want, it would float to the top and they would skim it off. You got some pretty pure silver there. But to really get pure silver, you do that seven times. Each time heating it up, skimming off the impurities, and doing that again. And God says, it's, my word is like that. It's like you've done that seven times. Isn't that neat? That is so neat. You know, we're used to this idea of purifying words. Did you know that in our ordinary life? You ever had to write an essay for school? Now, some people, I did it once or twice. You just go find a book on it and copy it, you know. But if you couldn't do that, you know, you'd sit there and you'd scratch it out and rewrite it again. Love letters. Or a guy wants to propose to his girl, he'll think about what he's going to say and refine it. He'll think it over and change the words a little bit until it sounds just right. You ever done that? Thought about something? Unfortunately, we all have experience too, I'm afraid, in uh, refining a speech uh, to justify ourselves. Know what I mean? You know, we've done something we shouldn't have. And so you think, how am I going to explain this? So you think about the words, you know. So we've all had experience in refining words. Of course, God doesn't have to do that. He's, he says it's like silver refined in the fire seven times. God is perfect. He's pure. First time. But that, the point is, every word is perfect. That's why we can come this way and just look as deep as we want to. And we don't have to be afraid about hitting bottom. Okay? The word of God. I love the word of God. <clears throat> so that's what we've been doing going verse by verse not word by word although we could that would that would take us until the lord comes to finish the book but occasionally we'll look at a word here and there that that sort of jumps out at us <clears throat> so we uh finished with uh, peter's first sermon last week and now let's see the upshot of what happens here verse uh, 41 of acts chapter 2 then those who gladly received his word were baptized. In that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Not bad, huh? 3,000? That's pretty good. Pretty good result. I want to notice three things here in this verse. First of all, notice baptism is only for true believers in Jesus Christ. When uh, the apostles got to town they didn't go around and round up all the infants and sprinkle water on them it says those who received his word gladly were baptized only those who trust christ 
are uh, available for baptism. <clears throat> Second thing to notice here, uh, let's think back on Peter's life. Peter just finished the sermon and here 3,000 people get saved. That's pretty good. And as we think back on his life, remember what Jesus said when he first called him. He said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Here it is. Isn't that neat? Jesus prophesied. He, he made a promise to Peter. He said, something's going to happen. We're seeing it fulfilled right here. Here's Peter casting out the net of the gospel. And it's, that's the other thing it reminds us of. Remember when Jesus said, cast your net on the other side? And he pulled it in. And what happened? The nets broke, right? He had such a catch. And here it is now with people. It's so wonderful. The Lord is uh, so great. And he's blessing Peter in such a great way. He threw the net out and the nets are breaking again, this time with human souls. There's no better work than that, is there? No, he was a fisher of fish before. Now he's a fisher of men. That's a high calling, brothers and sisters. And we're all called to be that fishers of the souls of men sometimes we have to be careful we we may be get excited if, those of us who have jobs but uh i don't want my only legacy to be that uh i was able to uh make more paper clips or better ones i want to look back and and see that i was a fisher of men how about you working with people working alongside of god in the lives of people <clears throat> Well, the third thing to notice here is there's another fulfilled prophecy. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And we're seeing it right here. Here he is, <clears throat> stone by stone, each person that's saved, he's putting it into place. Ultimately, it's the Lord Jesus here who's doing the building. It's funny, I, as I told you before, I wasn't raised in church, so I didn't know a lot of the, uh, in fact, I didn't know any of the hymns or any of the little rhymes that people learn but uh, not long after i would say one of the first things i learned from a lady that was uh, teaching sunday school up in berkeley <clears throat> she used this with the children she'd go put her hands like this you ever seen this <clears throat> here's the church and here's the steeple oh uh, open the door no i'm pardon me i gotta remember now here's the church there's the steeple open the doors and see all the people you ever, you ever, you ever seen that? You ever done that? Now, really, it, it's not going to rhyme, but this is the way it should go. <clears throat> okay, let me get so I can get it right. Here's the chapel. There is the steeple. Open the doors and see the church. <laughs> right? There's the church. Here's the church. The people, living stones. <clears throat> so Jesus is building his church here out of living stones. <clears throat> Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Wonderful verse. You want to model for a church? You want to start a church? What should you do if you're a church? What are the activities? Here's a good starting point right here. Four of them. Notice. Apostles' doctrine, the teaching and the, the preaching of the word of God. We're doing it right now. Fellowship. You know, love of the, the brothers and the sisters, <clears throat> that's, a, that's evidence of, of real life in 1 John. That's a test of life, loving the brothers and sisters. Fellowship. Breaking of bread. I've said it before. Um, I guess it's okay to say this. I have a favorite meeting of the church, and it's the breaking of bread. 
uh, I love to worship the Lord. The, the only thing I don't like about it is when it ends. That's why I'm going to love heaven so much. I tell you, if I love the breaking of bread now, boy, how I'm going to love heaven, huh? Aren't you? Do you love to worship the Lord? The, the early saints did. <clears throat> and finally, prayer. Prayer, it's, it's like breathing. It should be the natural instinct of a, a true believer. And as we're going to see in the book of Acts, and as we know today among ourselves, corporate prayer has a special place in God's eyes, praying together as we do here. Now, the interesting thing is uh, you don't see somebody telling, okay, you people now, now that you're a Christian, you've got to break bread, you've got to go to church and listen to the Bible, and you've got to pray, you've got to, all that stuff. It just happens. If, if you love the Lord, if you know the Lord, it's, it's neat. It, you you want to do those things is the point. That's why they're doing them. What does it say? It says they continued steadfastly. I think in the King James it says they devoted themselves. Doesn't it say that? They devoted themselves to these things. Maybe it's New American Standard. I love that. Nobody had to tell them. It, it was, quote, natural. Ask yourself that. Why, are you, why do you come to church? Is it because you want to? Are you here because you really... You're excited about it. You want to be like David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. <clears throat> Good test of, of reality in a person's life. Nobody had to tell them to do it. They just had a natural love for the things of God and for each other. <clears throat> okay, let's get a, a, a good close look now at the life of the believers here. We'll finish off the chapter, verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I love being around brand new believers, don't you? You know, there's something about somebody who just got saved. There's, there's a joy, there's a fervor, there's an excitement there. You remember when you were first saved? I do. Imagine having 3,000 of them at once. Wow. And you see it here. It, it, it shows in their life and their, their selflessness and their love for the Lord, their vitality. No one's telling them to do what to do again, as I said. Um, <clears throat> there are not too many quotes in uh, the early days about Jesus in, in the Roman historians or not that many even about the church. But the few that do exist are very telling about the Lord and about his people. Um, it was Tert Tertullian was an early church historian and he said the, the pagans, the people that weren't saved, uh, would always say, see how those Christians love one another. Isn't that neat? That, that, they saw it. They looked at the Christians and they saw this kind of stuff going on. And they remarked on it and they said, see how those Christians love one another. You think the people look at us and say that? I hope so. Jesus said, you know, that's, that should happen. He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. What, because we say we're Christians? Because I follow Jesus. How did he say that people would know that we're followers of him? What? 
if we have love one to another that's right yeah he said that that'll be the proof and people will see it they did in the first century a.d this behavior by the way is otherworldly the world the world doesn't understand this kind of behavior think about it god brings together people that don't know each other never met all walks all ages uh all races all occupations you name it brings them together and makes a group out of them and they end up loving each other more than their 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 fleshly relatives that that's that's the work of god and how many times have we heard a brother or sister say you know i love the the people of god really more than than uh, my the the my blood relatives only god can do that uh secondly <clears throat> there's a miracle here the, the world definitely doesn't understand this they sold everything they had put it in a pool and uh distribute it so that everybody had equally this is communism <laughs> this is socialism but it's it really it's neither one it's a theocracy you see the lord jesus christ is ruling here that's what it is the world certainly doesn't understand that kind of economics does it and here we are in a building that's a good evidence of that kind of behavior that kind of economics uh the this was a real testimony the acquisition of this building and the unsaved people who saw it happen finally uh the other or other worldly thing about this is these people and and us as well we come together and we do religious things and we enjoy it that's incredible i love to come to church you love to come to church man i love the word of god i love god's people that's not natural I remember when religious people, I don't know if they were Christians or not, whether they were Jehovah's Witnesses or Baptists, boy, they never come to the house and knock on the door. I'd peep around the curtain. I'd pretend I wasn't home. I didn't want to talk to those people. Anybody ever talk to me about God? I'd change the subject. You know? I'm just uncomfortable around Christians. They made me nervous. I love Christians now. That's the work of God. People from all walks come together and enjoy the, each other's company praising god and worshiping him it's funny uh, i don't know if you've ever had this experience you that work outside the the home but um many's the time we'll have a meeting at work <clears throat> out at the lab and uh without thinking i'll wait for somebody to open a prayer you ever had that experience i mean it's, i'll almost start bowing my head you know and then i'll wake up and realize we're not going to pray this time you know <laughs> And on the other hand, I'll, I'll talk to people sometimes. They'll ask what I've been doing, and I'll talk about going to uh, church, you know, praying with the people of God. And a lot of the times the reaction is kind of, you really enjoy that? You know? Yeah. It's otherworldly. The world can't explain the changed lives of believers. It's a real testimony to the world, and you see it here. <clears throat> Uh, we've been pointing it out here as we've been going along there's a key phrase in verse 46 it's the third time god has mentioned this it says continuing daily with one accord that's the third time 
here we're not even out of chapter two it's so important the unity of the brethren and god points it out here it's the key to the blessing of god one accord one heart one mind so in short here as we see the picture of the early church really it's it's a picture of young believers and their enthusiasm and their love for the lord and their and their their love for each other multiplied by three thousand it's wonderful uh right now even in verse in verse 47 it says having favor with all the people right now even the unbelievers get along with them and that's true to some extent even today isn't it you know as believers if people get to know you if you have a good testimony they'll respect you and yet there is another aspect too and it's going to become a more prominent here later like jesus said the world's going to hate you because it hated me so it's like right now there's a period of, of grace and, and peace and prosperity it's going to change start changing in the next chapter but right now uh there's just a, a real flourishing and enjoyment of, of the lord in the church and the lord is adding daily to the to his church okay chapter three i'm going to see peter's second sermon here in a minute now peter and john went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour that's three o'clock in the afternoon and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple who seeing peter and john about to go into the temple asked for alms and fixing his eyes on him with john peter said look at us so he gave them his attention expecting to receive something from them then peter said silver and gold i do not have but what i do have i give you in the name of jesus christ of nazareth rise up and walk and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength so he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them walking leaping and praising god and all the people saw him walking and praising god then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful beautiful gate of the temple and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him peter and john going up to the temple right now uh they're going to the temple it, it makes sense it's where they uh went before as jews it's the house of god so to speak ordained by god with the priests and the sacrifices this is going to change over time read the book of hebrews and the lord teaches the jews that they're all shadows they're all done away with the lord jesus christ has replaced all that but right now it's the place to go and it's a great place to find those who are seeking god so here they go and and there's this guy out there that uh, by the way is over 40 years old we learn that uh, later in the passage and uh his life is not going to be the same after today as you picture peter and john going up to the temple i was i was just thinking about this you think about all the pharisees and the sadducees and the lawyers and all the other ones going up there and going through motions you know rituals and here are these just enthusiastic believers who know god coming up there and just praising god you know really using the temple for what it was meant to be used for you know and they're going to be rejected 
So here they come, and uh, there's this poor man. He's, he can't walk. He has to be carried. He's laid every day in this particular gate called Beautiful. He's a hopeless case. He's been like this since birth, over 40 years. Imagine, nothing more pathetic than this. Interesting, in uh, verse uh, 5, it says he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. In other words, money. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, that's what he was there for and that's what he'd been doing ever since they'd been putting him there no doubt but i thought about that too often you know people come to the lord and they have the opportunity of receiving something so much greater but all they want is god to fix their marriage or pay their debts or get them a job or something you know think about it maybe you're here you don't know the lord what's your motivation he wants to give you something a lot better than a good job or a good relationship with your wife or girlfriend or a career or whatever. How about eternal life? Well, here, he's, he's expecting money. He's going to get something uh, a lot better than that. <clears throat> By the way, this is the first uh, little instance Don remarked on this when he gave us the overview of Acts of Dr. Luke. Remember Luke, the author pardon me the writer god's the author of the book of acts is a, is a physician and he has all these little touches every once in a while uh that help bring a passage alive here um when he's healed luke goes into the medical details you know any other writer matthew mark or john would have just said any and he started walking luke says uh, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength you can just almost see him with the you know the chart up there pointing out the anatomy as he's going through it and now god allowed that in here to get us to think about it often we read these miracles and we say oh yeah okay well there's another healing think about that he wants you to think about the parts of this guy's body his ankles the muscles the bones you realize what happened here you've heard the word atrophied atrophied muscles right uh in 1969 i got run over by a truck had a compound fracture of the right tibia and fibula in those days they put you in a hip cast for about two months they don't do that anymore they get you walking as soon as possible but in those days they didn't so i hear i had my leg up in traction for a full month never moved it <clears throat> and you know my hip started out about like that like most guys a month later it was time to go see the doctor and take the cast off and see what things look like inside I took a little saw a little round blade like that cut through the cast and it, it was strange my my left leg was still about like that my right leg it was like that the muscles had atrophied so much i mean it was the the bone basically with a little bit of flesh around it and some bones that it atrophied that's what happens when you don't use your muscles you see so picture what the interior of this guy's legs must have looked like you know, like the, the, the people that they found in the concentration camps, just skin and bones from the waist down. So for him to get up like this and start leaping, can you imagine? Look, God created on the spot muscles, tendons, ligaments. And later on, Peter says he's perfect. So we're not just talking about any old ordinary muscles and tendons. Perfect examples of everything this guy needed to be mobile. On the spot man that's great only god can do that 
So I love the I love it. The the word that just jumps out at us, of course, here in verse eight, he says it twice. Uh, he was leaping. I just love that. This guy never walked in his life. And now that God has healed him, he, he doesn't just want to walk. He starts jumping. Isn't that great? Man, he's excited. Well, not surprisingly, this causes a bit of a stir, you know, in the group around. <clears throat> and it says, uh, verse 11, all the people ran together. Here we go again. Remember last week we saw it at Pentecost. The Lord produces an instant audience for the gospel. Isn't that great? And here Peter's got it again. He brings all the people together. And now it's time uh, for Peter, Peter once, again, once again to speak up about the Lord Jesus. He does so. Let's begin reading here. Well, let's just start with verse 12. <clears throat> so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk very good first of all he wants to get the focus off of them everybody's looking at john and peter like wow look at those guys they must really be something and so the first thing is let's get rid of that right away we're not the ones that need to be talked about here it's somebody else we didn't do this it's interesting don't you we study the words now normally somebody would have just said it wasn't by our power okay notice what peter said it was neither our power or what isn't that interesting why does he say that he's stressing to the people look we're just a couple of ordinary guys not only do we not have the power to do what just happened here we're sinners that's what he's saying so now that he's got that cleared up he turns the focus on the lord jesus verse 13 the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Boy, I'll tell you, if you'd been a Jew... In that audience there listening to that, you'd have been cut to the heart, just like they were the first time. Woo! Not only does he turn the focus on the Lord Jesus, but as we said last week, he immediately begins to work on conviction of sin. And just listen, first of all, uh, notice how he, he magnifies the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you noticed, there were actually four titles there of the Lord Jesus that he uses. First one, in uh, verse uh, 13 he says the god of our fathers glorified what his servant the servant of the lord isaiah 52 and 53 the servant of the lord uh next verse 14 the holy one next the just and finally verse 15 the prince of life isn't that great all appropriate titles and as he he uses these terms to describe the lord jesus to them he at the same time does what he did in his first sermon he talks about what god was doing with jesus and he contrasted what they were doing with jesus (laughs) and their opposite first he said um whom god glorified 
in particular now he's saying god has just glorified him in in healing this man and then he turns to them and he says now god glorified the lord jesus what did you do with him and he says well you delivered him up not only that you denied him not only that you denied him in the presence of a gentile who wanted to let him go not only that you denied him again this time we're going to call him the holy one you denied the holy one and the just one and not only that you asked for a murderer instead of him whoa you talk about conviction and then he returns to god again to show by contrast what he had done and he says whom god raised from the dead you killed him and god raised him from the dead i can almost see him saying again men and brethren what shall we do you know now you don't have to be jewish here to relate to this i tell you for 25 years i wanted nothing to do with jesus christ and whenever i used his name it was to swear To, to my shame i'll tell you that i fit this category god god's own precious son the lord jesus christ whom he loves who died for me all the things god did for me through him i hated him for it praise god i've been woken up now and that song we just sang fairest lord jesus when i sing that i mean it i wouldn't have sung it before but now when i say it i mean it through the grace of god you ever seen the beauties of jesus has god opened your eyes he's beautiful well uh, no doubt now they're they're really uh, realizing that uh, something needs to be done here about their their condition and so he he finishes with the gospel now and uh, in verse 16 he's going to introduce a key word <clears throat> see if you can figure out what it is when i read it and his name that is jesus through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know yes the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all what's the word very good faith yes faith simply means to believe god believe him at his word and here it means to believe what he said about the lord jesus christ and many people here are going to hear these words some of them are going to get saved and some are not and you know what's going to be the difference the ones who get saved are the ones who believe who have faith it's that simple hebrews 4 2 says an interesting thing about people who hear about god but don't get saved don't get helped by it he says the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it isn't that an interesting way to put it people who heard the gospel they heard about jesus but it didn't do them any good why because when it went in there it wasn't mixed with something this extra ingredient and that extra ingredient is faith that's the key and as i thought about it i was reminded of um, these modern glues they have you ever had these two-part glues you ever used those before yeah somebody few of you have you know you got two tubes right and that stuff is so potent they can't mix it to begin with because if they did you would never get it apart and so you have tube a 
and you put whatever the chemical is on the on the things you want to glue together then you very carefully open tube b and you spread the second stuff on the surface and you put the things together and you've you've seen the picture the guy with the hard hat right glued to the uh girder and he's going like this and all he's held by is his super glue it's that strong and if you ever had the misfortune like i have to get parts a and b accidentally on your fingers <laughs> you got to be careful when you pull them apart you don't pull the skin off it's that tough so you got these two parts of the glue you got part a and you got part b now you could sit there you could spread part a all over the material as much as you wanted and it's not going to do you any good or you could take part b and you could spread it all day and it's not going to do you any good but you put them together and something incredible happens well that's what happened here and that's what should happen when the gospel is preached you can hear the word of god that's part a it can go into your ears but unless you add part b to it which is what faith it's not going to do you any good just like the hebrews there talked about in hebrews and the funny thing is you know <clears throat> you'll meet people i've met people and they'll say well i got faith well that's part b problem is the faith is not mixed with part a you see you, you, you talk to them and you say well, what do you mean you got faith well i believe in god well that's a good start you know what league that puts you in the demons that's pretty good you're as good as a demon that's what james says you believe in god look even the de demons believe in that and they tremble and the person you're talking to typically isn't trembling so they're really farther along the road aren't they <clears throat> people say well i you know i just i just believe i'm going to heaven you can be as sincere and and believe as strong as you want but unless that part b of faith is mixed with the gospel of jesus christ part a it's not going to do you any good it takes both the gospel of the lord jesus the gospel the lord jesus christ died for your sins on the cross he was buried he rose again the third day and now he offers to you heaven forever if you simply trust in that and nothing else for the salvation of your soul now is that hard to understand there it is you understand that but it's not going to do you any good until inside that little transaction happens where you say lord i believe that i trust that i put my weight on that a marvelous thing happened and it's better than being stuck with a hard hat on a girder you go to heaven you're saved paul said in romans 1 16 i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ it is the power of god to salvation to who everyone who believes yeah okay <clears throat> um read on now verse 17 he said you you did that with uh because of ignorance he says uh as did your rulers he's not excusing them as we saw last week and when he brought in the providence of god but he goes on to say the reason it happened that way is because it was foretold by the prophets verse 18 but those things which god foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the christ would suffer he has thus fulfilled repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come 
from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Here's that uh, big word again. He used it last time. Repent. He told the group previously to repent. He tells this group to repent. Must be important. And the people think of it as a religious word. It's real simple. Just means to change, turn around. Change of mind that leads to a change of action. It's funny. You know, I've talked to people about that and they say, well, I changed my mind. It's just my life hasn't changed yet. Can you do that? What do you think? You think you can turn from your sin and turn to Jesus and still keep doing the same stuff? Something wrong there, huh? <laughs> you want, you know something? Jesus said it. He said it this way. Uh, By their fruits you shall know them. What he's saying there is, talk is cheap. Somebody can say they've repented. Somebody can say they have faith. That's easy to do. But that's not how you determine whether they've done it or not. He says, look at their life. Look at their life. That's how you can tell. Then the words mean something. James says, look, what good is it if a man has faith and no works to go with it? Nothing to support it. It's dead. So he's telling them to change mind and with it a change in direction of life. And he brings up the soon return of the Lord Jesus. You know, as I read this, I thought, I wonder what Peter thought when he's talking about the Lord's return. You know, I really think Peter was thinking it was going to be very soon. I can tell you this. Peter did not think, okay, we're going to have this age called the church, church age, and it's going to go for at least 2,000 years. Never in a million years did he think that. I think he thought the Lord's return was going to be very soon. And as we said uh, last time too, if you're going to share the gospel or talk to anyone about the Lord, you've got to use this, the word of God. And so Peter, last time he dipped back into Joel and Psalms. This time it's Deuteronomy and uh, Genesis. And then, uh, so we saw the uh, Deuteronomy passage in verse 22. Now he goes back, pardon me, we're going to see it here in verse 22. Let's read it now. This is the Deuteronomy passage. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and all those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Uses the word of God again, Deuteronomy in uh, 22 and uh, 23 and then genesis there in in uh, 25 well we uh, don't find out right away here what the fruit was but later on it's going to say that uh, the number of men came to 5,000 in the church yeah the conservative estimate would be well let's start with the 3,000 from before and we'll go up to 5,000 but that's just men so you figure the church is running probably at least 10,000 already in a period of maybe uh, weeks or months. And so we see, a, a, again, two fulfilled prophecies here.
here of the Lord Jesus in action. Number one, when he told Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And secondly, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We'll stop there in our reading, but as we uh, have looked at this passage, now we, we have two apparently separate passages. You got Peter preaching, and then you have a description of the church and life in the church and the believers and how they were helping each other and, and loving the Lord and loving each other. But the interesting thing is those two events are not separate. In fact, they're very closely linked. Do you know that? The strength of the early church and their love for each other and their love for the Lord and Peter's preaching and people getting saved are dependent on each other. Peter would be the first one to tell you that. That he drew his strength certainly from the Lord but from the other believers. We're going to see it in the next chapter, by the way. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I need you to encourage me. You know? To exhort me. To, uh, I love the word in Hebrews, provoke me to love and good works. These are all one another's of the New Testament that should be happening in the church. And they were happening here. They're linked. The, the healthy uh, life of the body and the outreach of the gospel and then the blessing of God. And uh, as I thought about the Lord Jesus building his church, we, we quote that phrase. We've done it many times. I will build my church. But uh, he ends with another phrase. Really, he does so many, as he does so many times, he breaks the rules of grammar. One of the rules of grammar is, I don't know if you ever heard it, don't mix your metaphors. You ever heard that? No? He's, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now you think about that. He starts off, I will build my church. That's a metaphor of the construction industry. Okay? He's building something. But then he turns around and he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's a picture of warfare. Isn't that interesting? And there's something else there. Think about that verse. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If you put those two together, at first thought, they don't fit. The second section says, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's got to saying, I will build my church. What is it that the gates of hell won't prevail against? Well, it's the church. But he never said anything about the church attacking something. But that's what he's implying there, isn't it? We often think about that verse. And uh, when it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it, you know what we usually think? The gates of hell are attacking the church. And they won't win, don't we? It's not saying that. Gates don't attack. <laughs> so the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said that. What he's painting with that picture is the gates of hell, it's like the gates of the cities in, in Jesus' time. That was the place you attacked when you wanted to take a city. And when you finally break through the gates, guess what? The city falls. And so Jesus was saying there, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. As Frank Colvin used to say, what you have there is the church militant. It's not the church on the defensive. You know, oh no, let's get inside, lock the doors, here comes hell. 
Hope they don't get in. That's not it at all. The church is on the offensive there. And of course, because the Lord Jesus said it that way, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's the subject of the sentence. And so you have to realize he's the one that is working through the church to literally raid hell. That's what he's talking about. Eric uh, mentioned this morning in uh, our worship service, the picture of the, the man legion and how the Lord Jesus literally was an enemy of territory, snatching someone right out of the hands of the enemy. That's the picture. If you're saved, you are someone who was rescued from hell. Now, you weren't there yet, but the handwriting was on the wall. Your fate was sealed. My fate was sealed. That's where we were headed. And if you're saved today, it's because the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps with the use of a believer or two, broke through the gates of hell and snatched you out of there like uh, the, the high priest in Zechariah, a brand from the burning. Okay? And as I thought about that, here you're seeing it right now. Peter preaching the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ through Peter going in, into the enemy camp and snatching souls from hell one by one that's the picture and we need to see that picture here in our own lives as well not on the defensive but on the offensive and i'll close with the illustration from ephesians 6 on this ephesians 6 we all know it well the armor of the christian right and you get that picture he's got on his uh breast, his uh, helmet of salvation his breastplate of righteousness he's got the sword of spirit in his hand he's got his loins girded with truth he's got the shield of righteousness out there and we get this picture of john wayne out there one guy you know waving his sword taking them all on that's not the picture the, the book of ephesians is the church and the word you is plural all over the place there and that's not how the romans who paul was picturing in that fought they didn't send some guy out there with his shield and his sword and said go get him you know, that would have been the last you'd seen of him. It was together. The Roman phalanx, ever heard of it? Together. All their shields, all their swords, all their helmets, together. And uh, again, we put too much stress on uh, the fiery darts of the devil coming. And, you know, I got to hide behind my shield. And so it's a defensive thing. No, it's an offensive thing. He's got a sword. This is our sword. And it's able even to uh, pierce to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. That's a pretty powerful sword. And, uh, you know, you kids like arcade games and all the neat gimmicks that the heroes have in it. Well, we've got a pretty neat thing, too. We've got a special pair of shoes. Shoes like nowhere else. You know what they are? They're the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's the stuff we walk with the gospel of jesus christ on our feet ready to go so the picture there again just like uh, the the gates of hell shall not prevail it's it's a picture of the church militant in a hostile world that hates jesus and hates us bringing the message of salvation and one by one like um we saw this series on on the tv not too long ago great raids of world war ii where these guys are going behind enemy lines against all odds risking their lives and they would snatch people out from behind lines and bring them back safely. That's the picture. 
lost souls out there you know in chains like we saw this morning and jesus wants to use us to be raiders of hell literally going out with the gospel prepared with the, the the gospel of peace on our on our shoes preaching the gospel and delivering them as brands from the fire let's pray lord jesus we thank you that you have already fought the battle and the victory is won you did the great work on the cross that opened hell that opened heaven forever and, and broke through the gates of hell and Lord, we, your people, pray that we might co-labor with you in this wonderful work of seeing souls snatched from hell, delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. Oh, Lord, help us. Lord, may we see ourselves as uh, warriors for God, prepared with the gospel of peace, with the sword of the spirit in our hands. And with your help, Lord, see souls saved. Help us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.